Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, this is Ashley McClay, Director for Coalitions uh, for IWF and at-large representative for the D.C. State Board of Education, where I work on policy issues that affect students in the District of Columbia. I want to thank you to our listeners for joining us today for our Working for Women podcast. With me, I have Inez Stepman, who is a senior policy analyst at the Independent Women's Forum. She has worked in education policy, where her research focuses on educational freedom, school choice, and the culture impact of empowering parents with control over their children's educations. As well, I also have with us today Vicki Alger, who is a senior fellow at Independent Women's Forum, as well as a research fellow at the Independent Institute in Oakland, California, and author of the book, Failure, the Federal Miseducation of America's Children. Vicki's research focuses on education reforms that promote a competitive education marketplace and increase parents' control over their children's education. She is the author of more than 40 education policy studies and has advised the U.S. Department of Education on public school choice and higher education reform. She has also advised education policymakers in nearly 40 states and abroad. So thank you both for joining us today. This week is National School Choice Week, and today we'll be discussing on the podcast School Choice Around the U.S. IWF has been a leader in the education reform movement, highlighting the topic in print and across media platforms because education is an important issue that affects women and families, and a child's zip code shouldn't determine his or her future. And Nez, I'm going to start uh, by talking with you. I'd love to hear some some of your, you know, research and general data points on school choice, the types, some of the major results you see, you've seen across the U.S. and in the different states that we're playing. Great. Um, thank you for having me, Ashley. Um, and thank you for hosting this important conversation about school choice, which I think, as you said, um, is one of those real uh, sort of women's issues that the Independent Women's Forum works on that sometimes doesn't get put into a list of traditional women's issues, but is deeply important to women around the, mer- around the country. Um, so school choice in general, the, the basic idea is, as you mentioned in the intro, that parents shouldn't be hamstrung in where they spend their children. They should be able to find the best educational option for their children, regardless of their zip code. So they shouldn't be assigned to one district school, which may or may not be great a great school, and furthermore, may or may not be a great fit for their particular kid, right? You could have an excellent traditional public school that is still perhaps not the best fit for a particular student. And so the idea is to give all parents, not just those who are are financially able to either pick up and move to a different neighborhood um, or who are able to pay full private tuition on their own, those parents already exercise school choice. So the idea of school choice programs is to give some of those choices to all parents. Um, So there are a number of ways in which states might go about giving 
choices. There are charter schools, which are public schools um, that are free at the point of entry, just like um, just like traditional public schools, but have a little bit more operational freedom. Usually this goes, this varies, you know, state to state depending on the law, but usually they have a lot more control over who they, they hire um, as staff. And they might have a slightly different um, curriculum focus. There are charter schools that focus, for example, on mathematics or robotics or, or focus on the arts. Um, and, and may teach, for example, a classical curriculum as opposed to a traditional public school that follows a lot more rules and regulations from the state and from local uh, school boards. So um, charter schools are, are just basically public schools with a little extra freedom to innovate and do different things. Um, there is public choice, which would just be both charter and traditional public schools. Um, giving parents the ability, the simple ability to go to a school that they're not specifically zoned for, right? So if that other school has room, uh, a kid from a different neighborhood, if they're willing to take the bus or, or their, their parents are willing to drive them uh, to attend a school that's a better fit in another district over. So that's, that's public choice. Um, and there's also private forms of school choice. So one might be homeschooling. Um, parents who choose to uh, school their kids at home, whether through themselves or in, in a co-op with other parents, um, or private school choice programs, states, uh, which means that states give a, a little bit, usually a portion of the funds that were dedicated already to that particular student to attend a traditional public school and allow parents to control those dollars and send them to a variety of different schools. It might be a, a private school option, might even be something that looks completely customized, right? Um, we have now education savings accounts programs in six states that allow parents to completely customize their children's education, whether that's bringing in tutors for particular subjects, sending them to a class or two at a, a, a charter school, and then bringing in the rest in with private tutors and private schools or at home with, with the parents, um, or, or just completely um, whatever options the parents think are the best for the kid, um, these, these programs support. So that's just kind of a little bit of an overview of the current map, which includes 29 states and Washington, D.C. Um, for private school choice, choice programs. And uh, I think it's 43 states now. Almost all states now have some form of charter school law. Thank you so much for giving us that background. I know in D.C. that we have been such a model for uh, school choice in America. Uh, it, in fact, you know, this year is the 15th anniversary of the D.C. Opportunity Scholarship Program, the only federally funded school voucher program in America. And, you know, I'm, I would love to talk to Vicki a little bit because you wrote a book uh, about the Department of Education and how we've, they have done such a, 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 for lack of a better term, a bad job in a top-down management of education reform. And I would love to hear, Vicki, your uh, viewpoints on why state-led choice is better uh, as a whole. Well, thank you so much for that, Ashley. And I am so excited that we're celebrating the 15th anniversary of the DC Opportunity Scholarship Program. Because when you go through and look at through the hundreds of programs <laughs> that are listed under the federal auspices, uh, the DC Opportunity Scholarship Program 
stand out head and shoulders above the rest as one of the only programs that is actually working. So when I talk about the failure of the Federal Department of Education, uh, the DC Opportunity uh, Scholarship Program is one of three programs I would actually keep. I would scrap the rest uh, by giving control back to states and localities. First and foremost, we need to remember that the word education doesn't appear once in our U.S. Constitution for very good reason. And it was debated not only during the, you know, the Constitutional Convention, but presidents all the way, you know, through Madison, our earliest presidents, advocated to maybe change that and give Congress authority. But Congress never took up, you know, that tack and and precisely because education is a local matter, and there's nothing more local than empowered parents. And I'd like to highlight um, just one aspect of federal failure and why the states and localities do better, and that's on the issue of safety. Obviously, when parents are looking for the best educational options for their children, academics, places that support uh, their beliefs are always top indicators, but right up there with them is safety. And this is a good example of how federal, quote-unquote, leadership in education has utterly failed. Consider that under the No Child Left Behind Act, which was uh, enacted in 2002, parents have what's called an unsafe school choice option. Now, it sounds really good, doesn't it? Except that there are so many mandates, and it's so impossible to meet the definition of a persistently dangerous school that each year, less than 50 schools out of more than 100,000 nationwide are ever deemed unsafe. So very few parents can exercise an unsafe school option. And this is something that IWF pointed out starting in 2011. We wrote about states implementing safety opportunity scholarship programs where parents wouldn't have to wait years at a time or wait for their children to be victimized before they could take action. I'm really happy to report that Florida has become the first state to implement such a program called the Hope Scholarship Program. And what's truly wonderful about Florida's program is that children who are victims of bullying, harassment, hazing, um, any sort of violence can now have a scholarship to go to a safer public school or private school. And that's the way we really should be advancing is we shouldn't wait for the federal government uh, to act. Parents shouldn't be in a position of having to say, mother may I, to any of our elected officials when it comes to choosing their children's education because parents know and love their children best. Ultimately, parents are the real experts, no elected officials. Um, Vicki, this is Inez. I'm just going to jump in on that uh, and absolutely agree with you. And I think this is part of a larger issue, right, where we as mm-hmm. policy wonks or elected officials or uh, people in Washington, D.C. in general often tend to think that their priorities are more important than parents' priorities. So, for example, mm-hmm. we see this very, very obsessive focus on test scores, right, on, on moving the yeah. needle on test scores. And I'm not an anti-testing person at all. I think that testing can provide very valuable information to parents. 
Um, and we have seen a ton of, of um, great academic work showing that school choice programs do, in fact, improve test scores. The vast majority of studies on, on school choice programs show that they do. That being said, parents don't care as much about test scores as policy wants to do in Washington. And that would make sense, right, because we're sitting up here and we're trying to talk about the whole country or where education is going as a country. Parents don't care about that. They care about where their kid is going to school and how their kid is doing in that particular environment. They have access to information that that um, policymakers and, and legislators will never have access to, which is they get to see that kid come home every day and see whether their son or daughter is thriving or 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 not thriving in a particular educational environment. So time and time again, when we survey parents, the things that, that matter to them are, are perceived academics of how their kids are actually doing, which is probably way more accurate than what one standardized test once a year can show. And things like safety, which are not a priority um, in terms of, of uh, the way that, that policymakers think about education reform. Parents think about things that are really, really important to their families. And I, I think that's really important to report and remind in Washington to remember and, and throughout the country, people working on issues um, from this perspective is that parents' priorities are not universal, sometimes very much at odds with what uh, sort of folks who are trying to reform the entire education system are thinking about. And that's why it's so important to empower parents with those choices, because they have better information than we do about their kids. They always will. I could not agree with you more. And that's one thing that I think as we proceed, you know, into 2019, there are so many amazing, innovative proposals and programs that state legislatures from coast to coast, and even, you know, in the territories, including Puerto Rico, are, are doing. And we really shouldn't wait for D.C. leadership. And one thing that I think we have to really be mindful of is how parents are disempowered and disenfranchised in the name of public accountability. I'm with you that I believe testing is an essential diagnostic. I started out as a college level uh, professor. I was testing my students every course. I need to know where they are and where I need to jump in and troubleshoot. That's not what's going on with the national test, the state level tests, and international tests. I don't think parents or students really care much about those. Uh, What's in that for me? Um, So that's a good example. And I think we have a lot of testing fatigue. So students are doing a lot of testing, but are we getting better, not just better information, but for me, we need three things to have true accountability. First, information that's accessible. Second, information that's accurate. And to one degree or another, we may have those now, but here's the real kicker for me. It is not accountability unless, number three, you have information that is actionable. Parents don't need a whole battery of tests to know my child is not reading well, is struggling with reading, or my kid is used to love math and is now pulling his or her hair out because they have to put in too many thought bubbles and do math the way nobody on earth in the real world would be doing it. So I think there are limits, and we have to make sure, as you said, Parents talk to a whole variety, you know, use a whole variety of factors in making a decision. They talk to 
other parents, chat boards, social media. Um, they're not looking at these wonky studies that we're looking at. Is it safe? Do the teachers know what they're doing? And are my beliefs not being, is my child not being subjected to these outrageous political agendas? Yeah, and, and you, you bring up a really interesting point there, um, Vicki, about these these agendas or, or just basically curriculum, right? So mm-hmm. um, diversity of curriculum is so important in a country yes. that is as diverse as ours is, right? Uh, we live in a, a multi-religious, multi-ethnic, deeply divided politically um, country. And that's, that's great. That's fantastic. I mean, maybe not so much the, the political division, uh, but having different political views is absolutely part of our tradition. Um, and having sort of this free for all and, and, and this very, you know, we have the first amendment, we have, you know, these, um, you know, very, very robust debates in our public square. And that's all to the good. That being mm-hmm. said, we then jam that very diverse population into a very one size fits all school um, including when it comes to what kids learn. And that just produces an enormous amount of friction, um, both between the schools and parents and between parents and parents, right? Because when yes. everybody basically, everybody has to agree to a particular curriculum, you're going to have people who don't agree, for example, on issues of, of history and social social studies or on, on um, what values are taught in school. You're going to have diversity of opinion, which is why choice, I think, is a very underrated uh, solution for a lot of the anger that we see neighbor against neighbor um, in our political environment today, because people are much more willing to agree and get uh, to disagree and get along when their kids don't have to learn what their neighbor thinks in school, right? Um, Absolutely. A lot of actually uh, studies that show that school choice, some of the effects beyond test scores that we were just talking about are really strong. So for example, we have eight studies that show positive civic effects from school mm-hmm. choice, saying that students of school choice are, are more socially tolerant. It's actually fun how they test that. They ask um, <laughs> a whole big list of people that, that might potentially raise the ire of other folks, right? They've got Nazis on there. They've got um, different religious groups, right? And they ask right. a group of people, who do you not like? And then they ask, um, what what rights are you willing to grant them? Or is it okay for them to express their opinion on their First Amendment? Should the, the government crack down on them? You know, this kind of social tolerance is incredibly important in a small L liberal society. So we find increases in social tolerance among school choice students. Uh, we find increases in civic participation and donation to charity and sort of these um, experimental setups where they ask a kid, you know, they give a kid a dollar and, and ask them, would they like to donate to this or would they like to buy a piece of candy? We find um, increasing charitable, increasing charitableness um, among kids who have gone through school choice programs. And finally, as a just a baseline of all, all of these very different people living together um, in the same town, state and country, we would really like it if our, our neighbors didn't commit crimes against us, right? Or that we would commit <laughs> yes. crimes against our neighbors. That's kind of the baseline. And we found <laughs> enormous success in school choice programs. Uh, there was a study that came out on the Milwaukee Voucher Program, which has been in operation long enough to conduct this kind of studies to see um, how the kids who went through that program might be different from demographically matched students who went through the public school as they enter young adulthood. And it turns out they have a 79% drop in being convicted for felonies. 
93% drop in being convicted of a drug crime, 87% drop in being convicted of a theft-related crime. Those things are huge, and, and in many ways, they are way more important than um, whether a kid fills out the correct bubbles on a test, because we know that test scores are not perfectly linked with later life success. And in fact, we know that there's a no. lot of evidence coming in that they're ter- increasingly not linked with any kind of thing that would actually matter in, in later life. So um, I think these are these are some important aspects of school choice, some important results that often don't get highlighted. So I'm glad we're talking about them here on, on National School Choice Week. No, and you brought up so many good points. And I, you brought up um, Milwaukee, and I wanted to just highlight a really great proposal that was introduced last year in Wisconsin, because school choice has been growing by leaps and bounds in Wisconsin, not just in Milwaukee, but it's going statewide. And one of the areas we see the the most numerous parental choice programs is for special needs children. Um, what Wisconsin is doing is taking that concept and applying it to a category of children that we don't really talk enough about, in my opinion. And those are children who are gifted because these children have such incredible abilities and teachers really struggle because you have to deal with you know, about 30 kids in the classroom, all at varying levels, and children with who are gifted often don't have their needs met. Wisconsin would have a program. They, they have a, a pending proposal that I hope they reintroduce uh, this year it would be an education savings account um, that would actually include gifted and talented students. Now, they're important not only because they're being overlooked, But this is what happens to children who are gifted and they're in a classroom that's just not meeting their needs or their teachers don't have the freedom to innovate and actually meet their needs is this children become not only do they become bored, but they start looking at school as a punishment as though they've done something bad. And anyone who is a mom or dad to a gifted student will see this when they're helping with homework. Why do I have to write all these steps, go through all this rigmarole? Um, I see math in my head. So why is the teacher picking on me? So you get all of these problems. So gifted students start checking out, they become disciplinary problems and their learning is compromised and it's compromised in a way that's compounded every year. So that's something to think about as we as we focus on maybe low-income students, children in failing schools, children who are special needs, it's about, as you said, and as every parent, every child is special needs, every child is unique. And it's so critically important that parents have every option on the table to, to really find, and through programs like education savings accounts, customize the education that is the really perfect fit for their child. And that is, so, so true. Uh, I am so excited that uh, both Inez and Vicki, you were able to talk about all of the different exciting things that are happening for students across America uh, and really talking about families and giving parents that encouragement to choose and select the best choice for their family because what may work for one student in one family, may not work for another. 
Uh, here in D.C., you know, we have so many options and choices, everything from charter schools, traditional public school, homeschooling, voucher programs, and online schools. We really get to see school choice at work. Uh, you know, that's what we're celebrating here during National School Choice Week. I hope that across America, those for our listeners get to really join your neighbors, look up events in your area, and celebrate school choice. Whatever method of school choice you choose, uh, whether, you know, that, again, is traditional public schools, uh, charter schools, private schools, homeschooling, or online schooling. We want to encourage and celebrate all forms of school choice for our students across the United States. Um, Thank you again for both of you for being on the podcast today and discussing this very, very important issue uh, and these opportunities uh, that are available to our students in the United States. Well, it's my and pleasure, to- Ashley and Inez. Thank you so much. I hope you guys can join us again. And thank you to our listeners for joining. IWF has committed to this issue of school choice. It's one of the true women's issues and family issues that we work on here uh, at at Independent Women's Forum. If you are interested in learning more about this or other topics that we work on, please visit us at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. Thank you, and I hope you can join us next time. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by IWF.org for similar content.